One, two, and four. <clears throat> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved how rich like me. I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 through 6. I'll be reading from the ESV. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Exalt be number 58. At this, we have an opening prayer. Let's sing one, two, and four. <clears throat> one, two, and four. How wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. How wonderful Savior to me. He hide my soul in the cleft of the rock where the rivers of pleasures I see. He hide my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows and dry thirsted hand. He hide my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hands and covers me there with his hands. How wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He takes my burden away. He holds me up and I shall not be moved. He gives me strength as my pain. He hide my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows and dry thirsty land. He hide my life in the depths of his love and comes me there with his hand and comes me there with his hand. When clothed in his brightness transported I rise to meet in the clouds of the sky. His perfect salvation, his wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. He hide my soul in a cleft of the rock that shadows the dry thirsty land. He hide my life 
in the depths of his love and comes me there with his hands and comes me there with his hands. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've given unto us. We thank you for the the growth of our children, and we thank you for the energy that you've given unto us. We ask, dear Lord, that you look out for our leaders of our country. We ask that you be with the police officers, the soldiers, sailors, and Marines that are going around the world and trying and to defend us as we are here to give us the freedom that we have. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the freedom to worship in your name. You've allowed us to become part of your family through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for the sick that you've brought back to our fold. We ask that you be with those that are ailing, they're waiting surgery. We ask that you be with it and be with the surgeons and ensure that They guide their hands rightfully and allow them to heal and come back to us. Dear Lord, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Song after lesson will be number 562. This evening, 562. On the song before the lesson will be number 281. Let's stand and sing, please. We'll sing one, two, and three. One, two, and three. <clears throat> I come to the garden alone Why the dew is still on the roses But the voice I hear Calling on my ear The Son of God is Sweet the birds are singing, and no melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own, and the joy. with me and he talks with me 
Thank you, Wes. The song reminds me of the little boy that went home and told his daddy, he said, I know God's name. You do? He said, yes, it's Andy. How do you know it's Andy? Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. All right, have to think about that one. All right, we are going to conclude tonight our lesson series on grace. Some of you may go, oh, I didn't want it to end. Some of you may be going, finally, it's ending. A subject I I love, near and dear to my heart, a subject I think we need to learn a lot about and certainly practice in our life. And so I hope this lesson series has been helpful to those of you that are thinking about grace and how it can be shown in our everyday living. Before I get into the lesson tonight, I want to be sure and remind everybody about our get-together tonight. We have a Christmas meal, a fellowship time, and, and children are going to be visiting with Santa and just lots of fun and games. I appreciate Teresa and Meg coordinating this and buying the meat and getting everything ready. So enjoy the fellowship, the potluck, come and play games. Just eat if you can't play a game and visit with us. But I'm thankful for all this fellowship that we have at Stroudsville and a loving church family. Rethinking uh, grace, a conclusion tonight, basically Ephesians 2, 5 through 9, each night we remind ourselves that this text tells us twice, one in verse 5 and then in 9, that it's grace that saves us and not a works-based salvation. Somehow we, we get into this mindset, if I just do a little more, if I work harder, if I'm more diligent, um, I'll squeak into heaven, and, and, and the world thinks the same way, this big basically scale, and you want to tip the scale in in favor of of the good things you've done versus the bad things you've done. Well, we understand, Paul teaches in Romans, that, that, that we're all lost, basically. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even one sin will keep us out of heaven, and so we understand that we desperately need grace. Even the best people sin, um, And even the worst people have an opportunity, if they repent, to be saved by grace. And so what I want to do tonight is kind of wrap up this idea of rethinking grace. So tonight, this is my objective. As we close this lesson series, I I want to offer each of you a challenge. So tonight, I want you to go away challenged to do this one thing. What I want you to do is I want you to grow in your grace. I want you to grow in grace. Wherever you are in terms of understanding and practicing grace in your life, I want you to leave tonight thinking, Brother Tom, challenge me to step it up a little. How can I be more grace-filled in my life? Now, one thing that I will promise you without reservation, that is that if you can practice this, growing in grace, you will be a more joy-filled person. Because I have found in my personal experiences, those people who love others, and those people that are gracious, those that tend to forgive and are grace-filled, tend to be happier, more fulfilled people. Those that tend to go around pointing fingers and judging and feeling superior, right, are the ones that aren't generally real happy. 
They're so busy pointing out faults in others and condemning others. They're just not, well, fun to be around, for one, but they tend to focus on negative things. So I don't want you to misunderstand my point. There's, there is a time in our Christianity where we have to go to a brother or sister and confront them with sin in their life, Right? We have to be honest. We have to be biblical in our teachings and talk about certain lifestyles that will condemn us and things that we must not do and works of the flesh that we cannot engage in. But what I'm talking about is being a grace-filled person, not that you ignore sin, but that you find the good in people and you love. I'll, I'll move in my lesson a little bit later tonight and just quit talking about this and show you in the life of Jesus. Maybe that's the best example I can give you. They show you an example of what is grace and Jesus can teach us, all right? He's so much better than I am. So your, your mission, should you choose to accept it, all right? Grow in grace. Be more grace-filled. Be a happier person. Be more appreciative. And that's really what grace is all about. Uh, this is from a website I use a lot. It's called gotquestions.org. Do I agree with everything I read? No, but every now and then they sort of knock it out of the park and do such a good job. But in our next slide, here's some things about growing in grace. The more grace we have and ask God for, the more mature as Christians we will be. That makes sense? An immature Christian doesn't usually demonstrate nearly as much grace as a mature Christian. Mature Christians understand and appreciate and value grace in their life and have the ability to show it. To continue this quote, the writer says, to grow in grace is to grow in our understanding of what Jesus did and to grow in our appreciation of the grace we have been given. So what are we really saying? Those who appreciate and understand grace are the ones that can say, I need grace in my life. I'm a sinner and God has forgiven me. He's blessed me and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, in fact, that I have to go out and tell others what Jesus has done for me. And that's how we grow in grace. Here's something Peter says in a greeting in 2 Peter 2 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 2 Peter 2 2. So if you turn in your Bible to 2 Peter 3, that's going to be our main text tonight. We'll begin in verse 17. That's our key scripture. So open up your Bible, and I've got it here on the screen as well. Listen to what Peter says. Now, in context, what Peter is doing in his, in his letter in 2 Peter is an admonition. It's a warning to the church. Don't engage in the things of the flesh. You and Christ have no business going down that road of following the desires of the flesh and doing things that are flesh-like. Because if we do those things, we claim to be a Christian, then we're deceiving ourselves, and we're basically lost. We don't want to be those kind of people. So he says, brethren, you are not those kinds of people. So he puts that category of deceived and godless people. You, therefore, he says, verse 17, beloved, knowing this beforehand... Knowing that category of people that are lost is what Peter is saying. Take care that you are not carried away with air of lawless people and lose your own stability. 
All right? Important thing that we need to point out about 2 Peter 3, 17. Is it possible for those in Christ to wander from the faith and be lost? Yes, it is. Therefore, we must be on guard. We must be careful. We have to be careful not to rationalize ourselves and say, Oh, I'm such a religious and holy people. I come to all the services. Yes, that may be true, but are you living a godly life? Are you following the Spirit and not the flesh? Or are you just deceiving yourself? So, how do we remedy that of becoming more worldly and considering ourselves to be Christians? Verse 18, he answers that. On the next slide, here we go. You ready? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So there's your challenge. Mature Christians grow in grace. And you're like, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. What does that mean? What are you talking about? How in the world do you grow in grace? How can we grow? And secondly, why is this important? How does that apply to me? When I was in the business world, Glenn, you may have heard this before, you whiff them. You ever heard whiff them before? Whiff them stands for what's in it for me. What's in it for me? Nice lesson. Thank you, Brother Tom. But what's in it for me? How does this apply to my life? When I go home tonight, how is it going to enrich me and make me a better person? And how will I? Okay, grace is something we all need, and I want you to grow in grace. And so tonight, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you three ways. If you're taking notes, wonderful. Write down one, two, three. Three things. How do I grow in grace? Why do I need to grow in grace? Number one. This may surprise you. (laughs) You have to admit you need it. That makes sense? You have to admit you need grace. That's a struggle for a lot of us that grew up in the Lord's church. And even when we were little tiny teeny boppers and coming to church, we've always been good, God-fearing, church-attending people. But we really never really needed grace because we weren't bad people, were we? You see, that's the hard part. I was one of those people. I started coming to church before I was born. I probably heard people singing when I was inside my mama, you know? I heard Amazing Grace. I've been, I've been going to church all of my life. Do I really need grace if I've been a good person? And yes. You see, that's where the deception comes in. Even good people sin. But what scares me is it's the ones that have gone to church all of their life that never understand the concept that they need grace just as much as the lost person because we're all lost without the blood of Jesus. We're all lost without grace. So who's the best evangelist out there? Shocker. It's not the people that have grown up in the church. The best evangelist out there are the ones that had the terrible, horrible drug-addicted life or alcoholic life or terrible lifestyle who somehow met Jesus and realized what a wretched person they were. They're converted. They have a very true conversion. They become members of the church, and they're like, let me tell you about my old life. They're your best evangelist. 
because they understand grace better than anyone else. Isn't that interesting? Your best evangelists are the people who can tell you about the dark side out there that they were involved in. The people that came from the gangs. The women that were involved in a lifestyle that was not something they are proud to admit. The people that were the drug addicts. The people that came from broken homes or abusive homes that had no Jesus growing up. Those are the ones that are the more grace-filled and appreciated. We have to admit we desperately need grace. All of us need grace. I want to give you a Bible example, if I may. This is in Luke 18. Turn your Bible to Luke 18. This is a parable that Jesus told of a tax collector and a Pharisee. We know that the Jews hated tax collectors. The Pharisees were the religious elite who felt somehow superior to most people because they were more knowledgeable about Christ. So these were two men that came together in the, in the, in, in the, in the temple. These men offered different prayers. These men had two different attitudes. And what's interesting, there were two verdicts, two outcomes of what they had to say. You'll notice one is standing up there in a superior position looking up, and the other one is holding his hand over his face looking down. Body language tells us a lot about these two men. Verse 9 of Luke 18, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Here he lists them. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So I'm going to stop and ask you, how did this man feel about himself? He was proud, wasn't he? He had, he, he, he's like, God, man, I'm doing a great job for you. And I just thought you'd like to know how things are going in my life. Wow, I, I really, I'm there. I'm righteous. I'm your man. You want to look up religious person in the dictionary? My picture's right there. But yet, here's this man who's a tax collector who's hated by the Jews And it says here in verse 13, the tax collector standing far off, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. This was in in great sorrow and repentance. I get the impression. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, what else did he say? (laughs) Nothing. He just beat his breast and bowed his head and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. That's all he said. Jesus, who's telling this story, this parable, says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't that interesting? In God's eyes, the one who went away justified, the one who went away forgiven, 
was the penitent tax collector that everyone hated. But the man who felt good about himself, that felt righteous and was bragging on his own performance, was not forgiven by God and left not in good standing. Shocker on judgment, Jay, right? Because this man who's standing up bragging on all the things that he does thinks, oh man, when I get to heaven, the red carpet's going to be rolled out. They're going to welcome me in because I am the model Christian, right? Wrong. So where am I going with this? My point is we first have to reach a point in our life where we're broken and we say, God, I need your grace. Forgive me, a sinner. That's where God wants us, is in a state of being broken, not prideful, not bragging on ourselves, but saying, I need your forgiveness, God. Use me, help me to be what you want me to be, and help me to be humble. All right. These words are familiar to all of us that I'm going to read in our next slide, why don't we just sing them together? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I love that song. It's touched the hearts of so many. I get tickled, Howard, when we go to the nursing home or assisted living. We've got one lady. She'll pipe up every time we sing it. She said, I wrote that song. Thank you so much, I tell her. I'm so glad you wrote that song. Amazing grace. Let me tell you about the one who really did write the song. His name is John Newton. John uh, is an interesting character because he was an evangelical with the Anglican Church and a slavery abolitionist. Abolitionist is a big word, but what that means is somebody who tries to free the slaves, right? He realized back in the British colonies that it was wrong to put people on slave ships and bring them against their will in chains to work in the sugarcane fields for the profit of the British Empire, right? It was going on, except... Here's what's interesting about John Newton. He had previously been a captain of a slave ship and an investor in the slave trade. What had John Newton done? Like Paul, he had flip-flopped completely 180 degrees from his original position. He went from being a slave ship owner and carrying slaves across the oceans and profiting from them to now advocating their release and freedom. He served as a sailor in the Royal Navy and was himself enslaved for a time in West Africa. Now, it's a fascinating story. One time he was um, shipwrecked and basically the the, the ship barely made it and he, he prayed. He actually prayed to God and he said, God, if you'll just deliver me from this fierce storm and save my crew and myself, I'll be a different man. And from that day forward, John Newton was a different man. In later years, Newton began to lose his memory. 
Although his thoughts were limited, Newton said he could remember two things. He says that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. He said, in that Christ is a great Savior with this conviction of newly found life, he found only in Christ, Newton passed from this earthly life in 1807 at the age of 82. Newton did live long enough to see the signing of the act of the abolition of the slave trade. But I want to tell you about being released from slavery. Now, Paul, I believe... I don't have a a biblical basis for this, but I think Paul, later in his life, may have been haunted by the people that he went out and arrested and had killed. You think so? I think he dealt a lot with guilt. And he asked God to free him from that guilt because what he did, he did in good conscience, but yet he cost people their lives. You see, and Satan probably used that against Paul. I think Paul had nightmares and remembers the faces of the families and the children and the, and the mothers that he had arrested that were eventually killed for the sake of Christ. I think, like Paul, John Newton was finally a free man from his nightmares and guilt of his past life. I think he had discovered grace. He had learned that God was willing to forgive him of the horrific things he had done earlier in his life when he was ignorant and and an enemy of God. He had discovered grace. He had discovered that he deserved the grace of God, and he was thankful for that grace. And that's why he, church, wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Grace is amazing if you will let it work in your life. If you will grow in grace, it will make you a different person. And now I do want to switch to Paul who writes to a young man named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Paul is speaking of the grace that was afforded him. Paul was a zealot. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisees, Hebrew. He was, he was a man who knew the law of Moses. He was an expert in the teaching, but yet with great zeal and diligence, he went out and hunted down people who were Christians affiliated with the way. And so now reflecting on his, his previous life, his past life before he met Jesus, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. You see, Paul is saying to young Timothy, you want to talk about sinners? That's me. I'm the worst of the worst when it comes to sinners based on what I did. But he says that grace overflowed in my life. Verse 16, he's reflecting back on what Jesus did. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost that is, the greatest sinner, the one who did so much wrong and affected so many people's lives. He said, I received this grace and this mercy, even though I was the worst sinner. He says, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life.
Paul, like John Newton, laid in bed and he could say, you know, Lord, I'm finally free. I'm free of the guilt. I'm free of the horrific things that I did. And I know that those sins of my past life have been taken away through the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Jesus and thank God for grace. So our first point tonight simply is this, church. If you're going to grow in grace, you have to admit you need grace. You have to admit you're a sinner. You've got to admit that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that will take away those sins. Not your goodness, not your hard work, not your diligence. You don't have bragging rights. Not if you're a grace-filled Christian. Because Jesus is willing to forgive you and offer grace. How do you grow in grace? Second point. The second point tonight is basically let's look to Jesus, the perfect teacher of grace. Let's watch him as he showed grace. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 8, verse 2. I love this story. I love this story, and I'll tell you why. There's a group of religious leaders who found a woman who was guilty of adultery. Under the law of Moses, under which Jesus and these religious leaders lived, the law said, stone her. She was guilty of death. No question about her guilt. They threw her down in front of Jesus. Well, let's read the story. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, I've read that, sorry. Now in the law, they said, verse 5, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now, I want to stop and just ask you a question. Do you think they really cared about this woman? Do you think they were interested in her guilt or innocence? They didn't care a bit. They didn't care if she lived. They didn't care if she died. All they wanted to do was trip Jesus up. She was just part of their plan. You see, that breaks my heart that they didn't feel compassion for this woman that was on the ground weeping. Weeping, deserving death. Verse 6 says, They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone. With the woman standing before him, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is a beautiful example of Jesus taking someone who's guilty, guilty and deserving to die, 
but yet he sees the value in the broken heart. I don't know what her background, I don't know the conditions, why she was even in that situation. Jesus knew all that. The religious leaders had no concern about the woman at all. They didn't care if she lived or died. They simply wanted to trip Jesus up. But Jesus focused on the woman. And because of what he said, let any of you who is without sin, he be the first one to, to throw a stone at her, it began to prick their conscience, and they realized they were convicted of sin themselves. And so many people ask, well, what did you ride in the sand? I have no idea. I've often wondered, did Jesus sit down and start writing the names of the men, starting with the oldest, who had been with women in an illicit relationship? And when they looked over and saw their names, they realized Jesus knew. He kept writing names. Stones started dropping. You could hear the thud. I don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand, but we know this, that his words pricked their conscience. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about tripping him up, trapping him. It was about this woman. Yes, she's guilty, he said. Yes, she deserves to die according to the law of Moses. And y'all go ahead and just throw those stones and kill her if you want. But by the way, before you throw a stone, I want to ask you, think about your life. Are you sin-free? Have you messed up? And if you can say no, you just throw away. Hurl that stone. This woman deserved to die. She broke the law. But what I love about what Jesus did, he didn't say, well, you dodged a bullet on that one, now you can leave. Jesus took her and he looked at her in the face and he said, don't sin anymore. I don't condemn you. You see, Jesus chose to show grace and mercy in her life. How powerful that must have been, because as she walked away, she realized, I get to go back and be with family. I get to live, and this man showed me grace. I think her life from that day forward probably was changed forever because she encountered the grace of Jesus. And I hope that people out there that have messed up big time, when they meet you and you show them love and compassion, you don't excuse the sin. You deal with it, right? What did Jesus say? Go your way, but stop the sinning lifestyle. Clean up your act, but live another day. Jesus showed her grace. I don't condemn you, he said. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Look to Jesus. If you want to learn how to grow in grace, follow Jesus' example. I can't think of a more grace-filled and compassionate act than to leave the perfection of heaven and come and walk the dusty roads of earth and be nailed to a cross and pour out your blood for men and women who hated you and shouted at you and cursed and made fun of you, claiming that you said you were the Son of God. Jesus is a perfect example of grace. Finally, tonight, we're almost out of time. Let us make it our goal to be grace-filled, and to be kind to others ourselves. I'm not always as patient as I should be and not always as grace-filled as I should be, 
But I want to close tonight by reading James chapter 3, if you'll turn your Bible with me, on how to be more grace-filled. We're going to look at verse 5. Well, I have... uh, Go to two. Let's read. Uh, I have it's supposed to be James four, not James three, but James four five through ten. Do you not suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy? over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. So basically the idea is that God God places his spirit inside us, and he guards it so much. He's wanting us to be the reflection, the image of God himself, and to be like Jesus Christ. So I hope that each day as we get up, we realize that we have the spirit living inside us. And so he says... Um, that he yearns jealously over his spirit that he made to dwell in us. We have the spirit of God. We're spiritual people. And so it says here, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need to humble ourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So basically, be grace-filled, I think, means to be humble. Being grace-filled means to be contrite and admit our own sin and shortcomings and say, I'm so thankful that God loves me despite my flaws. I'm thankful that that God has been kind to me, and so with that in mind, I want to be humble and kind to others. And when uh, I have an opportunity to forgive and show grace toward others, then I go that extra mile in loving them and showing them that grace. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount as we close tonight, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think if we show grace and mercy to others, then God will show grace and mercy to us. So basically tonight, we've looked at three things. Our key scripture was 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. First, we said that in order to grow in grace, we have to admit that we need grace. We can't be proud. We can't be like um, the Pharisee in Luke 18, 9 through 14. We need to be like John Newton. John Newton, who was grateful for the grace he received, grateful that God had blessed him and Paul as well. Secondly, We watched Jesus. He showed grace and mercy toward a woman caught in the act of adultery, John 8, 2. So we need to learn from Jesus. Finally, we need to make it our goal to be grace-filled and kind toward others. James 3, remember that the Spirit of God lives in us, and we need to be kind and merciful and full of grace toward those around us. I hope this lesson series has been helpful for those who want to learn how to grow in grace. So... There's a lot of opportunities, a lot of people that are messed up out there that need Jesus. And let us be that loving and precious connection to Jesus where they see grace in our lives. If you need to respond tonight, the invitation's yours. I appreciate your attention and your time. 
And I hope that something has touched your heart and that you've learned about grace. Let's stand and sing together while Wes leads us. We'll sing our invitation song. Nail at the cross, Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for you. Lift up your voice, play with him your care, and begin life supper will be available back in room one straight back our closing song tonight be number 519 let's sing one and three please <clears throat> one and three sing the wonders of jesus sing his mercy and his grace in the mansion bright and blessed he'll prepare us a place when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all sing, Jesus will sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving, every just one glimpse of him in glory will the toes of life repay when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day you've blessed us with, for this time and place we get to come and study and worship you. Father, we thank you so much for the lessons that were presented here today. We pray that they will fall on our hearts and strengthen us and bring us closer to you. Let us be the best example we can be to those around about us, Father. We continue to pray for the ones that are on our hearts and minds. Father, there's somebody that's always either sick or recuperating from surgery or about to go into surgery. Father, the, the more people that you know, the more that this is just life. And Father, we always pray that in these situations, we, of course, always want them to come home or be healed be back to their normal walk of life, Father, but we simply pray that in all situations your will be done. Father, as we come upon this time of fellowship together, we thank you for this food that we're about to partake and this time we get to spend with like-minded people, Father. Most of all, Father, as we come to the close of the day, once again, we thank you for the fact that your son came and did what he did for us, and it's through his name we pray. Amen.